BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where the best championship is the next championship. So while we have the whole next year to continue to puff our chests out and enjoy this one, you already know that we're on to the next one, on to the next one. So in that vein, here is our very early look at the Lakers 2020 free agency prospects. As we've mentioned in previous pods, the Lakers can only get better from here, and that process starts pretty soon. This November? December? December. We'll see. It may start as early as Thanksgiving, actually. It's crazy the turnaround that the Lakers are going to have here if the NBA does decide to start the 2020-2021 season on December 22nd. But yes, we'll see. Uh, I am your host, Jonathan Hernandez, and I am joined by my co-host, Tommy Alexander, and Tommy, this year's free agency for the Lakers is going to be quite different from rebuild summer's past. Outside of the fact that it'll be happening during Thanksgiving and Black Friday, things change when you come off winning a championship. Yep. So how do you feel entering an offseason in free agency that the Lakers probably haven't had since 2009, 2010 when they were contenders? Definitely. Definitely. Even better than last year, to be fully honest. I mean, last year we already had AD going into free agency, but when you have AD and, and, and I mean, literally the roster at the, when going into free agency was AD, LeBron, Kuzma, Jared Dudley, and Troy Daniels, who's like agreed on like the first day to minimum deals. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like that was the team you were signing up to join. And that was what we had, we, I don't need like, you know, we had this weird coaching system where we hired, we had all these like former coaches that, you know, we were affiliated with and we were coming off all these weird, like kind of toxic years. The weird magic Johnson thing happened the prior season. So it was not like a super, super easy sell. Um, this season we had, I think you can be a Lager hater or whatever you want to be, but I think it was widely regarded that we have the best bench in the NBA. Um, 
it was that was like known by the media and by other teams. I'm sure they all noticed. Um, we obviously had very good chemistry. We won the championship. Hey, the you know LeBron eighty thing works. Hey, the Frank Vogel and staff thing works. Um, I I mean like we they just it. Oh, we actually have money to offer this year. I mean, last year we had cap space, obviously, so we were playing with only the small mid-level exception. Um, and uh, this year, it's you know we're going into it with a full nine million. We can, I mean, that's substantial money we could throw at somebody or a combination of players. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel really, really, really good going into free agency this year because we are a proven championship team guys want to play for championship teams because even if you don't win a ring, you're probably going to be competitive and make it a round or two in the playoffs. And I think everybody see it becomes more and more apparent every year that those guys that advance in the playoffs and particularly advance to the finals end up getting just like flat paid the next year. I mean, Jeremy Grant is going to get paid next year, probably overpaid to be honest. Um, but he he showed up really, really big in these playoffs, and his team went all the way to the Western Conference Finals. And, you know, a guy who's maybe getting $9, 12000000 if you just sign him based off what the se- how the season ended last year, is going to get a lot more than that, I think. So, uh, anyway, guys recognize the power of that, and we have that in our back pocket um, to use as a, a, a tool this year. Yeah, this year the Lakers are literally leading with their best foot forward and any question marks that were presiding over the front office and the culture of this organization have been squashed you mentioned all the coaching stuff etc cetera, etc cetera. we could not look any more glowing coming into this offseason even though we only have the full mid-level of nine million dollars and the biannual exception of three million dollars and we'll get into the specifics of that soon Um, Before we get into LA's cap specifics, though, it's important to note that, and Tommy, you brought this up in a previous episode, that the Lakers have their first round picks for the next two years. They have it for 2020, and they also have it for 2021, as long as they're not in the bottom eight, which seems safe to assume. I think when that deal originally came out, we thought it was the reverse, that in 2021, I'm like, how did nobody talk about this? That it, it was like the Lakers keep it if somehow they're in the bottom eight, but actually, but you, know it's what I, you know what I yeah. think? It, it makes sense. I mean, it, you can see it from both sides. I mean, from New Orleans' perspective, it's like, oh, if it's not top eight, then deferred another year when LeBron's going to be another year early, a late or sure. older, and like the pick could be better. You know, so you see the logic, but I guess, like, g- given that we just won the championship, it, se- it seems it, it feels a little bit silly that we see a two year window and we have our first round pick for both of those years, right? Um, but whatever, I mean. It, it's it's just interesting. Right. And the Lakers can use both of those picks to draft and stash, get a Euro shooter or something, develop a guy for the future for Anthony Davis, or they can use them as trade assets. Um, for now, we won't get into the lo- logistical minutia of trade possibilities because obviously the first round picks, those contracts will need to be accounted for when we pick them, uh, if we pick them. So yeah, we won't get into the logistical minutia of trade possibilities, although any sort of trade package, whether it's this upcoming year or the next year, any sort of trade package would likely have to center around a salary ballast like Danny Green's $15 million contract, Kyle Kuzma, Taylor Horton Tucker, and one of those first-round picks. Um, Also important to note that the Lakers seem, I mean, it hasn't been explicitly stated, but I think given the contracts that we doled out last summer, there was sort of this implicit summer 2021 plan for a potential Giannis pitch. And I think when we signed Jason Kidd, that was the first thing people thought about. 
So it's, it's important to keep in mind that the Lakers may or may not be implicitly targeting summer 2021 for a potential Giannis pitch, as most of their current contracts expire that summer, uh, including LeBron's if he chooses to take his player option. Needless to say, if the Lakers are looking to preserve cap space for 2021, that would change their strategies when it comes to signing long-term deals this summer, keeping their draft picks, and or trading for players with deals that go beyond this next year. Right. So with that caveat out of the way, let's just quickly go through the lay of the land for the Lakers and the NBA, as I'll try my best to summarize our salary cap outlook in a very layman's terms fashion. A huge shout out to Yossi Goslin, a cap strategist and contributor to Hoops Hype, for the assist on these numbers and for confirming cap questions for me in a very easy to understand fashion. Make sure to follow him on Twitter, at YogiMain, at Y-O-G-G-I-M-A-N-E for any cap questions that you have. So as of the time of this recording, we know that Rob Palenka applied for an end-of-career injury exception for Luau Deng to get Luau Deng's $5 million dead cap off the books. While Deng did play 22 more games with the Wolves after leaving the Lakers, that allotment total of games still falls right under the 25-game threshold that the league uses to evaluate these sorts of claims. So while it's unlikely the Lakers get granted this exception, I still like Rob's thinking. I like that he's working all the angles here to free up as much money as he can, because you 100% won't get it if you don't ask. Also, this makes me think that Rob is angling to clear up space so that he can use the full non-taxpayer mid-level exception of $9.3 million yeah. versus the lower $5.7 million tax player MLE. Um, also, it's been reported that the salary cap this year, due to losses in revenue from the pandemic, will likely be the same as last year's, so $109 million, as opposed to the previously projected $115 million. This should not affect the Lakers, as they will be operating as an above-the-cap team regardless, but just thought I should point that out. Yeah. What does affect the Lakers, though, is the possibility that it looks like we may be getting a higher luxury tax line and higher tax apron this year. So instead of $132 million for the luxury tax and $138 million for the tax apron, which were the previous numbers, those numbers could be $139 million for the luxury tax line and $145 million for the tax apron, which would greatly help the Lakers in giving them the ability to give all of their players raises that they want to return and still having room below the tax apron to use the full $9 million non-taxpayer MLE. It's important to note, too, that if the Lakers use the non-taxpayer mid-level of $9 million and the biannual exception of $3.5 million, that they essentially hard-cap themselves at the tax apron of 145, meaning they can't go a cent over that number anytime next season. And hard-capping yourself severely limits your flexibility throughout the year to either take back a little more money in a trade if salaries don't perfectly line up, or to pick up guys from the buyout market because that would put them over the $145 million hard cap if you bring in another veteran minimum exception guy like a Markeith Morris or a Dion Waiters. So if the Lakers don't want to hard cap themselves, they can choose to just use the lower $5.7 million mid-level exception, and then they'd be able to go over that $145 million hard cap. So to put it very simply, if the Lakers want to use their $9.3 million MLE, they need to make sure that they're below the 139 million luxury tax with the raises they give the returning players and the veteran minimum contracts they give out to some new players 
And then they also have to have enough room to account for the 9.3 million mid-level exception and make sure that the amount they have committed below the 139 luxury tax line plus the 9.3 mid-level exception does not go above 145 million because that is the tax apron, the tax hard cap. So realistically, the Lakers probably want to be at around 133 million committed to make sure that when they tack on that 9.3 MLE, they're still below the 145 mark. So let's use 133 million as the number of committed salary that the Lakers need to be at or around. Um, okay, so in the scenario that everyone who has a player option on the Lakers this year opts in, the Lakers will have about 119 million committed on their books entering this summer, including Luau Deng's stretch salary of $5 million. However, this $119 million does not include the salary of the Lakers' incoming first-round pick at number 28, which will probably be around $1.7, $1.8 million. So let's add on to that $119, and now we have a committed amount of $121 million. But that's if everyone opts into their current deals, which likely won't happen. The Lakers have several players with player options who will likely opt out and demand at the very least raises, uh, Anthony Davis is likely going to opt out of his $28.7 million player option and sign a new deal with the Lakers, and his year one salary would start at about $32.7 million. So that's plus $4 million from what was initially accounted for for him onto our projected $121 that we have right now. So now we're at $125 million committed. Remember, we want to make sure that we don't go past $133 million. KCP has an $8.4 million player option that he will surely opt out of to test the market or at the very least get a raise from the Lakers. Let's say he comes back to the Lakers and gets a raise of about $4 million and now we have him slated to make $12 million next year. That's another plus $4 million we have to account for. Now we're at $129 million. Avery Bradley has a player option of about $5 million he can opt out of that and get a raise of 700 k with us more. So add more money on top of what we already have, and we're at about $130 million. JaVale McGee has a player option of about $4.2 million, which was already accounted for in that initial $119 million um, figure. He'll definitely opt into that, so the figure stays the same. So we're still at $130 million committed. Rondo has a player option of $2.6 million. Again, he will likely opt out of that, and he's already stated he's going to test the waters, or at the very least, again, get a raise from the Lakers. Rondo can get a raise of up to $10 million next year from the Lakers, but obviously, hopefully, the Lakers don't give him that. But let's say they give him a $5 million contract next year. So that's a raise of about $2.5 million. So let's add $2.5 million to our commitments. And now we're at about $132.5 million committed. Our number was 133. Now, if we're thinking about retaining Dwight Howard, we can give him a raise of about $600K from his minimum $2.5 million contract last year, which initially was non-guaranteed, but... If we retain him next year, obviously we'll give him a fully guaranteed contract plus that raise. Let's say he's willing to come back at that amount of about $3.1 million. Tack on top of our current commitments of 132.5, and now we're at $133 million committed, or about 134. So we are below the luxury tax level of 139, and even if we tack on the $9.3 million non-taxpayer mid-level on top of that, 
will still only be at 142 million, which is below the hard apron of 145. Sorry if that's confusing to follow, guys. I'll try to simplify it and summarize it as we go along. But keep in mind that even though we have, we've been able to retain all of our players, given them the proper raises, and we're still below the hard cap of 145 at 142, keep in mind we haven't signed any new veteran minimum players yet. So we need to account for that. Yep. And the space between 142 and 145 is only $3 million, and that's not going to be enough to sign two veteran minimum exception guys. So the Lakers will likely need to free up a little more space to give them some breathing room because, again, using the non-tax MLE of $9.3 million hard caps you and disallows you from going over the hard cap apron of 145. Now, the Lakers have Quinn Cook on a $3 million contract that's only $1 million guaranteed if they waive or trade him, which, given these figures, they will almost assuredly do. As much as I like Quinn Cook, as much as he's shown himself to be a Lakers lifer and a true Lakers stan, as most of us are, he will likely be gone next year. So let's say the, the Lakers wave Quinn Cook or trade him away. That will save them $2 million. So minus $2 million from our $142 million committed salary, including the non-tax MLE, we are now at $140 million with about $5 million of space to sign veteran minimum contracts. If the Lakers want to free up some more money, they can also defer their first round pick this year, uh, maybe for a future first rounder, or maybe they can trade it for a second rounder that has a non-guaranteed contract. And if they trade for a future first, that would get the first round pick's salary off their books entirely for this year, and that would save them another $1.8 million or so. And if the Lakers really want to give themselves max flexibility on top of that, they can also find a way to eventually offload McGee's $4.2 million after he opts into it by attaching possibly a future first round pick to him and getting his money off the books entirely. So that would give us more room to operate and sign veteran minimum guys and maybe even just give us flexibility to pull off a trade come mid-season or sign another buyout market guy and not have to worry about whether or not we are surpassing that 145 million hard apron. So they can do all of these things or they can also be granted that Luau Dang exception and gain $5 million in cap space, but we'll see. Um, all that to say though, that the Lakers books are still pretty tight because these are my projections of how I think they'll be giving their players raises. It's very likely that KCP gets a bigger raise than I gave him of $4 million. If KCP gets $15 million, that's, you know, plus $7 million off his current contract this year. So take that into account. And also maybe Rondo gets more than the $2.5 million raise that I gave him. And if that's the case, then the book is gonna, the books are going to be even tighter for the Lakers. Um, so they may be in a pinch and may inevitably have to settle for using the smaller $5.7 million taxpayer MLE. But maybe that's better because then they're not hard capped and can go over the tax apron of 145. So in summary, if the NBA does roll out a higher tax line and higher tax apron to 139 and 145 respectively, that should help the Lakers use their non-tax $9.3 million MLE as long as they're below 139 million committed salary after all their raises and below $145 million after they've used the $9.3 million MLE on top of that. So currently, if the Lakers use the raises and numbers that I laid out, they should be okay. But again, it's far from a certainty that those numbers hold up. 
For the purposes of this episode, we're going to aim high first and act like the Lakers will be able to use their $9.3 million non-taxpayer MLE and maybe their $3.5 million biannual exception. Uh, we're going to assume that they, they're able to clear Quinn Cook, maybe the first round pick, and maybe even JaVale McGee. We'll have future episodes where we keep things a little more realistic and, and boring <laughs> and assess what the Lakers can do with just the tax MLE of $5.7 million. Likely they just use that to re-sign Markeith Morris. But, you know, for this episode, that's no fun. Let's go high-end shopping for now. Last note, the Lakers can split up that $9.3 million MLE any way they like among several players. So keep that in mind. Are there any additional caveats you want to throw out there, Tommy, that I haven't covered? Uh, I don't think so. Okay, yeah, I think that's it. So that's the lay of the land. We'll take it to break, and when we return, we'll talk about just free agents that are on our minds for 2020 that the Lakers could potentially pursue given these two tools at their disposal. All right, so we are back. Um, As I mentioned, we don't know what's going to happen with Dwight Howard, DeMarcus Cousins, Markeith Morris, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, To keep things simple, we'll just act like the Lakers have the full $9.3 million to use. And to keep things further simple, we'll only be looking at unrestricted free agents. No restricted free agent guys, no guys who have a player option who may drop out of their player option, except for maybe Jeremy Grant. We'll just touch upon him very quickly. And no anticipating of which teams who have restricted free agents may renounce those guys and make them unrestricted free agents. We're just working off a list of purely unrestricted free agents for now. So with that being said, Tommy, I'm just going to go through some pipe dream guys, and then I'm going to ask you who is like at the top of your list or guys that you've been thinking about uh, in terms of free agents that would be reasonably realistic, or if not realistic, you could see an angle there. Um, mm-hmm. Some pipe dream guys for me that I that I found off the top of my list would be Joe Harris, who probably going to get paid as the premier shooter. Yeah. He's still very young. Goran Dragic, obviously he was Miami Heat's leading scorer in the playoffs. Coming off of this plantar fasciitis injury, we don't know how he's going to be. He's pretty old, actually, but still pretty serviceable. Who knows? He may want to chip chase. We'll see. I also include guys like Jordan Clarkson and Derek Favors into this list. Jordan Clarkson, because he had a stellar playoff run and his percentages across the board were amazing, even just coming off of the bench. And he's proving to be sort of this like new age version of Lou Williams, maybe not as efficient and maybe not as uh, prolific, but he's like a a poor man's version of Lou Williams. And in this day and age, that's pretty good to have coming off your bench. Um, And then I think we'd probably add Jeremy Grant onto this list because he really showed out in the playoffs, especially against the Lakers. So with those pipe dream caveats out of the way, who are you looking at for the Lakers? There's a few guys that I like. I think, you know, I think the obvious need on this team, uh, as we saw in the playoffs with with the need for, you know, everything that Rajon Rondo ended up doing for us is playmaking guard. But the thing is, you know, it, it can't just be any playmaking guard because it's. I guess what I, I what I'm gonna get at here is it's it's kind of a tough situation for the Lakers to assess, and I'm gonna be really interested to see how they approach it. We're always if we're assuming we keep the same identity, which I mean this team just won a championship, so I assume we will. Um, we're always going to err on the side of closing games with our best defensive players. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And LeBron, in the last six minutes of the fourth quarter, can just be, you know, the sole 100% of the time ball handler. I mean, obviously, it'd be ideal if we had another guard who could defend and shoot threes, you know. But it just, like, this year's free agent class is just a bunch of guys we can't afford and then a bunch of guys who are not very good. So it it's kind of a it's kind of a weird class and and I am going to take an odd approach and well okay my number one free agent target would actually be I think Marcus Morris senior which is <laughs> which is so weird and funny um and I don't I think he's probably ultimately slightly out of our price range um yeah. even if we could you know even if we did offer him the full 9.3 Marcus Morris Sr. is obviously he's rep by clutch. He got used to living with his brother. He got, you know, in LA here. He got, he has had the most direct line into what it was like to be on the Lakers of anyone who was not on the team, right? Um, so, and he got a very direct comparison of that against what he had to deal with. And I don't know, there were all these things coming out and who knows what's real and what isn't about how the Clippers locker room was and what their, um, chemistry was like and you know issues like that that they were having but he would solve a few problems for us one he gives us another big strong wing defender which as we saw in the finals and frankly throughout the playoffs was i mean that ended up becoming very important you you could see why some may make the argument that we maybe lucked out avoiding a matchup with the clippers who had two big wings who could kind of muscle our guys into that. I mean, playoff Pete isn't as strong as like Jimmy Butler, but like, you know, he, he's got some size and he's got a bit of strength on him. And, and, and so, you know, you can never have too many of those types of wing defenders. Um, Marcus Morris would give us another one of those. He would give us a very good scorer and he would really open up our three point shooting. I mean, he hit, I think in the playoffs, uh, they played 11 games or so six. No, they played 13 games. They played a lot of games. Um, he hit, uh, four, I think on four and a half attempts per game, he was shooting nearly 50% Jeez. from three, which, which is absurd. I think he was shooting like 48%. And he shot 40% over the entire season. Like the dude can shoot, you know? And so that it would really help for that purpose. Um, and just enough, although he's not a primary ball handler slash facilitator, he is a guy who can you can just give the ball to in the half court and he can just do something. Like, make a shot happen. Um, that would probably be my number one. Dude, he shot 47.5% from three in the playoffs? Yeah. Hitting 2.2? That's ridiculous. That's insane, right? Uh, That's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, all, I mean, you forgot the biggest factor here. You potentially combine the Wonder Twins together. Yeah. And at that point, maybe because they're brothers, they will divvy up the money in know, some exactly. form or fashion. And, 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 a hundred percent. And I'm not the one to assume that anyone will ever take a pay cut, nor do I think anybody should take a pay cut in most circumstances. I just, these brothers actually have taken it. There's precedent for this, right? Like they mm -hmm. took a pay cut. I can't remember if it was one of them or they both took a pay cut to play together in Phoenix early in their career when they didn't need to be taking pay cuts of that. I mean, they were like in their young to mid twenties. Um, and they took pay cuts to play together. Phoenix ended up kind of screwing them over. <laughs> um, and, you know, they should have some confidence that Rob would not do the same thing. And so, mm -hmm. you know, it, it, there's a variety of factors and reasons for why you could see this kind of thing working out. Um, but, you know, I think I would go with him first. Uh, do you want me to go other options too? Let's do, uh, let's switch back and forth here. Yeah. 
So in my opinion, maybe we give Marcus Morris the full $9 million mid-level exception and Markeith Morris gets the 3.5 biannual. And because they're brothers, they can split that evenly or however they want to. That's like $12 million between two, right? I'll leave that to them. And also, it's important to remember that when the Lakers were shunned by Kawhi Leonard, we were actually looking at Marcus Morris as one of our remaining free agents that we might sign, right? And he was kind of teasing people on Twitter, saying, I don't know, we'll see. And then he eventually committed to the Spurs, and then that ended up falling through, and then he ended up signing with the Knicks, averaging 18 points with them, et cetera, et cetera, signing on as a buyout guy with the Clippers. And he's been in L.A. for a short period of time, but it would make the most sense and be most convenient to have the both Morai still in L.A., but as Lakers. Um, I think for me, my number one target, actually, and I'm going to caveat this with the fact that this is in the event that we lose out on Markeith and or DeMarcus Cousins. Let's say only Dwight resigns. At that point, we've seen that Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee can be played off of the floor in full series, right? So we're going to need to replace Markeith Morris and or DMC in that event, um, so for me, my top pick, who I feel like is realistic, would be Aaron freaking Baines, a hey. bruising big that can play both ends, but more importantly for the Lakers on the offensive end, can stretch the floor. To me, he's like a new-aged Marcin Gortat. He's got this like Dwightish template fused with Markeith Morris together that maintains the Lakers' strength and size, but adds all of the spacing gives open lanes to LeBron James and Anthony Davis and adds a new element to our offense when the half court is bogged down because look at Aaron Baines from the baseline or look at Aaron Baines popping out to the top of the key. You know, it's like, you remember we were facing off against Phoenix uh, at the beginning of the season and Aaron Baines was like giving everybody fits. Holy shit. I mean, Aaron Baines started off this season super, super hot. He ended up trailing off, but I mean, just the template that Aaron Baines provides, if we needed to give him the full $9.3 million mid-level exception, I'm kind of on board with that. But uh, yeah, that would be one of my top choices. Do you have any thoughts on Aaron Baines? And then you can go on. Aaron Baines, I think, would be fantastic. I mean, like you said, I think the big thing with him is he spreads the floor and he's just a beefy, beefy human being. Like, I have no idea, to be honest, what he is like in terms of his lateral abilities, but... That doesn't really matter. I mean, he'd be playing backup five probably to the extent he's on the floor with AD. I mean, you can live with one guy who's who's not super mobile laterally, um, but he he definitely brings a different dynamic to this team. He's he's everything uh, we hope Mike Muscala would be. A couple oh years God! Ago. <laughs> Sorry to bring. Wait, that is name that up. a joke? There's nothing no, no, alike. No, yeah, dude. Definitely, he, I know. Definitely, <laughs> definitely different. But um, you know, Aaron Baines, I. I think I think he'd be solid, and and you know a front court guy is also my next guy who I would target with uh, with the full MLE. I'm going to die on this hill, okay, man. And I know you're, you're <laughs> going. The floor is you're yours. Not, you're not going to like this, but uh, and, and a lot of people aren't going to like this, and maybe think maybe you know some people might think would would it really cost the full MLE to get this guy? Tristan Thompson is another clutch client. <laughs> he made 18 million this year. He's not going to make $18 million anywhere next year. He's played on a bottom feeder team for the last two seasons since LeBron's been gone. Um, he's still 29 years old only. That's crazy. If he, which is crazy. I mean, if he he is exactly like maybe this is why I'm so into this, but it just feels like the star like the stars align in so many ways for the signing to make sense. I mean, 
he is a very, very good player. I'm not saying he's an $18 million player, but I personally think he's well worth nine, if not more. Um, this guy started as a center on four finals teams. He moves his feet very well laterally. He's one of the best rebounders in the NBA. He's actually just overall a pretty good shot, a a pretty good defensive player. He averages Mm -hmm. for being a pretty undersized. I mean, he's obviously got the good wingspan. Um, but I think he's only like six, nine. He averages about a block a game. Uh, he can, he has very, very good hands. He can finish around the rim. Decent free throw shooter for a center. Um, sets really, really good screens. Can actually do some things with the ball when you pass it to him. He doesn't just like freak out and have no idea what to do. He could dribble a little bit. He could pass it. Make simple passes. Um, I really, 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 really like Tristan Thompson. Why would he come here? Clutch connection. LeBron connection. Kardashian connection. Uh, <laughs> seriously, I mean, you know, he obviously he has a kid with Chloe, and the kid lives in L.A., and, and you know, maybe that's a factor. Um, he, and like, you know, I brought up the age thing, and the reason I brought it up is because he's kind of right in that sweet spot where he can sign with you for a one-year deal, which maybe to him seems like an underpaid $9 million, but he can use that to springboard what will likely be his final like long-term deal next summer when he turns, he'll be 30. That'll be like his last, you know, three, four year deal he signs and he'll be winding down his career. So, you know, I've talked, talked about this many times, but guys understand the value of coming into a situation and, and making a deep playoff run um, and what that kind of sets up for you moving forward. And I think Tristan Thompson recognizes this, and I, I I think, you know, he's not the best player. He's not the most uh, well-rounded player. He's not going to be playing the last six minutes of a closeout game in the playoffs um, because we have Anthony Davis, and we would prefer to put a shooter next to him. Um, but despite all of that, it's a long season. Who knows how long next season is going to be? It's going to be over 60 games, I'll tell you that much. And you need guys like Tristan Thompson who are going to bring the energy, who are going to kind of reignite this team, um, you know, in, in, in the aftermath of it, of already winning a championship. And Tristan Thompson is not like, he's not going to be one of your top three players probably, but he is going to single-handedly win you some games over the course of an entire season. Just like we saw Rondo do a couple times this year, just like we saw Dwight do a couple of times this year purely with rebounding and hustle, um, taking charges. You know, we didn't have that many guys, especially early in the season, who were taking a ton of charges. So, you know, it, it's just, I, I really, really, really am high on him and and how he fits with this team and the, you know, fit with LeBron because we've seen it. Um, yep. So I would probably go with him as, as my next uh, potential target. Yeah, I mean, I'd be fully on board with Tristan Thompson, caveated with the, potential scenario that Marquis, we can't retain Marquise and or Dwight Howard leaves. Uh, Tristan Thompson actually um, has improved as a playmaker the last two years. He's averaging like two assists in those two years. He started to dabble a little bit with shooting from the outside last season. I don't know how much we can count on that, but he shot 39% on 0.4 attempts. Um, I did watch some clips of him defending uh, the Golden State Warriors pick and roll uh, in the finals, and I was pretty impressed by the way that he was able to contain switches with uh, Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and his ability to move his feet on the outside. And in some senses, he reminds me a little bit of like prime Taj Gibson, who you can kind of stick on 
pick and rolls to blow up those coverages and contain them. And Tristan Thompson has like a seven foot one wingspan. So definitely not a bad idea if they can use that clutch connection, that LeBron James connection in the event that we can't retain Markeith Morris uh, and or Dwight Howard. Um, Next guy, and we can both speak on this guy, Danilo Gallinari has come out and said that at this point in his career, he looked to maybe ring chase a little bit. Would $9 million be enough for him? I don't know. It's such a depreciated market that he surely, he surely, if he wanted to, could get $18 million from another team. But if we go by his word and he really wants to play on a championship contending team, um, actually, why don't you take this one? What are your thoughts on Danilo Gallinari? Danilo Gallinari, I, f- I think, honestly, is way out of our price range. There were some rumors floating around that he gave some interview to an Italian newspaper. I, I mean, I, people say all kinds of things in interviews, but he basically said, I don't know what they expected him to say, Like, but he was asked, you know, what's what's important to him in free agency this year? And he said that winning a championship is more important than the money. And basically, I'm like, as because he was really going to give an, an interview in Italy <laughs> – and say, like, actually, the only thing I care about is the money. <laughs> you know what I mean? That would make him seem like a very desirable sure. player. But even assuming that this premise is true and he might be looking, you know, I don't know, he's 32 or something. He's getting up there, I guess, and maybe looking to find a team. We're competing with a lot of teams still that have cap space and equally attractive opportunities. And frankly, what can we really promise this guy? We can't promise him a starting position. He plays the same position as LeBron and AD because he's either a three or a four and we start AD at the four famously during the season. Um, Maybe he's a bench player and granted he would be an incredibly high end bench player because this dude can just flat score and he plays hard. He's pretty tough actually. Um, I shouldn't say actually because I'm not trying to insinuate that European guys are not typically tough, but he is definitely a tough player. Uh, I just don't really... If he wants to come here for nine million, I would. Uh, you just say yes because of the talent alone. But I, you know, because of the fact that I don't really view it as being realistic, you know, coupled with the fact that um, I don't know that he really, really serves an obvious role or you know fits a, fills an obvious role on this team. I'm just like not really thinking about mm-hmm. that so much, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, he's tall. I, I actually don't think he can move laterally as quick as Kyle Kuzma can. Because, I mean, offensively, he's like Kyle Kuzma fully realized, right? But defensively, you see the focus on this team is very much defense, and that's the number one question mark that I feel like I've been attuned to when assessing any of these guys, you know? But, again, if he wants to come, by all means. Um, Next guy's sort of similar, Davis Bertans, shooting maestro. (laughs) I mean, this guy's like a pure shooter, right? But I feel like... And I actually don't think it would take the full $9 million, although if you're competing with other teams, it might. But, you know, maybe he's more of a $5 million guy. But he is definitely a specialist, right, to the furthest extent of that word. Frankly, I don't know how good he is on defense. He just seems like a guy who's not good defensively. But he would add that element to our team of just, you know for sure. And I don't want to say for sure because the Lakers' Chris from three-point land is real. But you know for sure. You stick him on this team. And that's lights out from three-point land, right? That's one guy that LeBron James and Anthony Davis can trust no matter what, and it would open the floor so much for this team. But yeah, your thoughts on, on Davis Bertans? I would love Davis Bertans. I mean, I, again, I think this is a guy who 
a lot of people maybe view as first of all, I actually think I'm not sure it's a sur- uh, sure thing that he's in our price range. Um, like this dude is making eight million dollars, I think, this year. Oh. So hmm. yeah, he's actually he 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 could be you know pretty well paid. I'm sure he'll be looking for years in security. But this dude can shoot the living piss out of the ball. I mean, he <laughs> he takes like nine threes a game and he hits 42%. That's like Latvian Steph Curry numbers, dude. <laughs> and, like, and like you see him play. These are not just like I'm standing in the corner like old school Matt Bonner corner threes. Like he catches are off of coming off of screens and curling and like like he's like a guard. And he's got limitless range, dude. I mean, he shoots yeah. them like well behind the arc sometimes and and you have to defend this dude i mean he lit us up um when we played them so like he i i would be so 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 happy to to sign bertans i mean again some people might say nine million is a lot of money to throw to very 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 one-dimensional player but he changes the dynamic of this team so much um, yeah and I think he would just, I mean, he would have a career year here playing with LeBron and AD. Yeah, dude. So this guy, uh, this guy's 6'10". He averaged yeah. 15 points with the Wizards through 54 games in 29 minutes. This guy shot 42% from three-point land, which on the surface doesn't sound impressive. But he made 3.7 threes on 8.7 attempts, shooting 42%. That is bonkers, bro. It's bonkers. That's bonkers. So, uh, yeah, Davis Bertans, if you're willing to take $9 million, come on board. Actually, now that I've looked at your specs, you are Ryan Kelly, fully realized. <laughs> let's see. Who else? Uh, let's go rapid fire here. All right. So we have Jeremy Grant, Sergi Bach, and Carmelo Anthony. Two of those guys clearly out of our price range. You could maybe argue Sergi Baca, there's the Danny Green potentially pitching him angle. But depending on which bigs the Lakers have remaining, he may or may not like having to compete with that many bodies. Whereas in Toronto, no more Marc Gasol. He has free reign. And obviously, he's been with that organization for a long time now, won a championship with them. Probably not realistic. Carmelo Anthony, my only gripe with him is that I still don't think he plays the defense we need him to play to stay on the floor. And then in that sense... Is he actually going to be happy with a limited role of like 15 minutes coming off the bench? He was happy with the Portland Trailblazers because, one, it was a short stint. It wasn't a full season. Played well for them, but he was a starter on that team. That's not going to be the case on the Lakers. Any thoughts on Carmelo Anthony? Yeah, I get nervous. On the one hand, I like the idea of it a little bit because I think it kind of reinvigorates LeBron. Um, True. Carmelo's one of his old buddies. You start to like wonder when is LeBron going to feel like I, it's not fun anymore. <laughs> like I'm not excited enough to you know try. I could I could see LeBron being re-energized and re-motivated in a run to like help his you know one of his old best friends get a ring who's never gotten one right. So and especially because Melo's kind of winding down in his career too. But all that being said, I and then okay another thing is like you well you wonder like well would he really be worse than like Dudley at the end of the bench? It's like, okay, well uh, that's all fine. But I think you, you kind of hit the nail on the head a a bit when he said um, he, it's just a different role that we would be asking him to enter into here. And I just don't trust him. And I know that's bad, but like, I really don't trust him to be reasonable and to, uh, you know, accept it and to put, he'd be able to put his ego aside. I mean, I watched an interview that this dude did like, not that long ago. I mean, like three weeks ago or something. And the way he was talking about his experiences in like Houston, 
I was just like, wow, you really actually thought that you were like the, <laughs> you were like a legitimately yeah. good player. Like it was, oh, it wasn't just like Harden and CP3. It was Harden, CP3 and Mello. <laughs> it was like the big three <laughs> of that team. It's like so crazy to me. So that, that degree of delusion scares me a little bit. Um, so sure. I would avoid it too. Yeah, I don't think he's underwent the years of pitfalls that Dwight Howard has yet to fully oh, be humbled. Yeah. So yeah. He has not had the come to Jesus moment. And if anything, the Portland stint has only reinvigorated him, right? To be oh, like, yeah, 100%. I have because to he be just a got that he exactly, he got the big role and yeah. Uh okay, rapid fire. Let's go realistic wings. I'll just throw out some guys you tell me if anybody interests you. Mo Harkless, Kent Bazemore, Jay Crowder, Dirty Jay, uh Jeff Green, nobody calls him Dirty Jay. Uh Jeff Green, <laughs> <laughs> Justin Holiday, Evan Turner, Damari Carroll, Wilson Chandler. So I'll go through that again. Mo Harkless, Kent Bazemore, Jay Crowder, Jeff Green, Justin Holiday, Evan Turner, Damari Carroll, Wilson Chandler. Do any of those names stand out to you? Jeff Green, I think, would be a solid addition. I think he would fit really well on this roster. He's become a much better shooter over his career. He's a little inconsistent. And frankly, from talking to friends who are Rockets fans and fans of other teams he's been on, he has a severe tendency to just completely fade away in the playoffs. Um, from what I've heard to the extent he's, you know, been on playoff teams, but would be phenomenal um, as like a Mark, essentially would be a more dynamic Markeith, I feel like, um, for what Markeith did for us this year. Uh, maybe a little bit worse defensively, but not not a bad defender, in my opinion. Um, I think uh, there's one other name that was kind of, towards the beginning of the list that wasn't that bad. Harkless? Harkless. Harkless, I wouldn't be opposed to because he's a big wing, and yeah, he can't shoot. And when I say that, I'm like, he really cannot shoot. Yeah, um, he But he, <laughs> he, is, he is an awful shooter. Um, but that being said, he is a downhill player, phenomenal, phenomenal defender, and could play really... I mean, if Alex Caruso can play in transition with LeBron James, so can Harkless, it just... At some level, you have to draw the line with these non-shooters. So right. I would shy away. And, you know, similar, I guess, rationale for Evan Turner, uh, who's a little bit older. But, you know, he he can still make plays and make things happen and be a dynamic playmaker for us off the bench. But he really can't shoot. And, yeah. you know, as, as much as I like him, he's a good defender, too. I just, I really can't. Um, I, 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 I just, it's not, it's not good enough. <laughs> yeah, you know, Mo Harkless, I mean... Let's be clear, Jeff Green will probably... You can probably have Jeff Green for the minimum. So he's not, we're not even talking about the mid-level exception here. Mo Harkless, maybe you have to use a portion of the mid-level, the 9.3 million or the full mid-level. Uh, he gives you this Trevor Ariza sort of vibe, right? He has a seven foot two wingspan. He can't shoot, but at least you know that if in a break glass in case of emergency scenario, if you find him on the baseline, he'll take that shot and once in a while he'll make it. I mean, he shot 37% with the Clippers, right? That's on a very low volume, 1.5 attempts and only 0.5 makes. But at least you know he can take it once in a while and he's not a total zero from that end. But you're really paying him for the defensive end of things and for his length. Again, seven foot two wingspan. And yeah, I'd agree with you. The only guys outside of that who would interest me would be Justin Holiday. He's 6'5", not exactly a wing per se, but if we needed to replace KCP or were outbid for KCP services, I think Justin Holiday would be a more than viable replacement. 31 years old. He is a 3 and D guy like KCP. Had a couple years where he shot 38%, 39% on a pretty high volume. And 
And yeah, I think he had the second best defensive plus minus on the Pacers last year. So he wouldn't be a bad get. And then, I mean, maybe Jay Crowder. He disappeared in the finals for them too. Kent Bazemore is a little bit interesting. He has his own Lakers redemption thing going on, but not really. Um, But yeah, let's leave the wings. Let's go on to the point guards. I'll rattle off a couple and you tell me if any spark your interest, especially because Rajon Rondo has already come out and said, apparently on first take, that he's willing to test the waters. So he may actually opt out. We'll see. Jeff Teague, DJ Augustine, Alec Burks, Tyler Johnson, Emmanuel Moutier, now we're getting deep here, Trey Burke, Shabazz Napier, the Lakers' own Dion Waiters, Brandon Knight, and I have to include this guy, Brandon Knight, wow. Jeremy Lin, attempting an NBA comeback, just going to put it out there. He actually, <laughs> outside of all these other NBA point guards, outside of the ones who went into the bubble, has played basketball more, more recently than the guys who have been off since March. Just putting it out there. But do any of those How names... How is he paying you for these plugs? Uh, a lot. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, any, any names spark your interest there in terms of point guard? Should Rajon Rondo leave? Or should we just need additional ball handling help and insurance should Avery Bradley not come back? Uh, I mean, it was a long list, so apologies. But I think one name that kind of stood out to me uh, was Shabazz. I actually oh. think that dude is like pretty underrated. Um, yeah. I wanted to sign him last summer. I think he ended up signing like a minimal minimum deal somewhere. He's a surprisingly good. Um, I mean, he can create for himself. He can create for his teammates. Uh, LeBron famously had that, you know, that high praise for him when he was uh, when he was being drafted and actually led Miami to draft Shabazz Napier in the first round, um, but. You know, last year he played for Minnesota and he played for the Wizards. He shot 35% or nearly 36% from three when he was with the Wizards. He's a career 35% shooter from three. Super quick guard. He gets a lot of assists. Um, He actually averaged, you know, in his stint with Minnesota, he averaged 10 points and five assists per game off, off the bench. I think he was coming most nights. And he averaged four assists and 12 points per game with the Wizards. So... I just like the the quickness and he brings he he kind of is um I mean we just we saw that LeBron really thrives when he has another guy next to him who who can kind of handle the ball a little bit. Um so yeah, I don't know. I'm a, I'm definitely a a fan of Shabazz, but I'm sure there's somebody else great on that list that I'm forgetting. Well, I mean, he had a really good stint with Portland, too. I think when one of their guards went down, either it was Damian or CJ, and he had yeah. a really good stretch to end the season. Um, and he's almost yeah, like, a you know, ago, yeah. a younger version of Trey Burke. He really hasn't come into his own yet, but has shown flashes of just being a pretty lethal scorer at his size. Uh, I think for me, I would, I know Jeff Teague is like the flashy name here, but he, he can't shoot well. And I just worry about what his role would be on a team where the ball's out of his hands. Um, although I guess in this sense, you'd use him coming off the bench, but I just feel like he may be on the tipping edge of being washed. Although I wouldn't, you know, obviously be grown that if we got him. Um, DJ Augustine is a guy I think the Lakers should look at. Um, obviously, he has experience uh, playing with the Magic, who had a pretty decent run in this bubble season and, you know, won the first game against the Milwaukee Bucks. And I know DJ Augustine's size is of a concern and he can't play any defense, but I think he adds a dynamic to this team with a ball handling guard who can just really shoot it from the outside. You definitely can't go under on screens with DJ Augustine out there. Um, And 
he obviously adds that veteran leadership as well and that veteran presence. And to me, he's almost like a new age version of Jameer Nelson and what Jameer was doing with Dwight Howard and Richard Lewis back in 2009. And I think he just add, and I mean, look, we, we dealt with 82 games of regular season Rondo playing absolutely horrid defense. I feel like we can do that with DJ Augustine and his offense would more than make up for any defensive lapses he has. We really just need him to try on the defensive end and get comfortable with our schemes. So DJ Augustine is a guy I would look at if we're purely looking for microwave scorers, obviously Alec Burks fits that description. And obviously I would not be opposed to just having Dion Waiters back because he wasn't fully able to get himself acclimated uh, with the Lakers coming in just at the start of like the bubble season, getting hurt, etc., etc. And of course, you know, Jeremy Lin, he has a redemption story with the Lakers to play out here. Uh, he needs to redeem that interview with Carlos Boozer, Jordan Hill, and Swaggy P. Wouldn't that be something if he won a championship with the Lakers? But anyways, uh, that's it for my Lin Sanity pandering. Um, lastly, hipster picks, Anthony Tolliver. He could play that Channing Fry role for the Lakers, and he could probably be a veteran. I feel like guy. he always lances up too. Yeah, and he played well for the Grizzlies in that like final game against the Blazers when they were trying to do that play-in. Uh, what about Christian Wood? Hipster pick young guy has shown some promise. Um, can kind of stretch the floor too. I don't know if they'd go with a guy that inexperienced, honestly. And also Christian Wood is likely going to get overpaid more than the $9.3 million MLE. Nerlens Noel is probably the more apt guy to look at here. Clutch client, obviously, he is um, a younger version of JaVale, more versatile version of JaVale, and one who can move his feet a lot better on the perimeter and, frankly, is a lot less shacked in a fool. And then guys like Juancho Hernan Gomez, uh, Willie Cauley-Stein, Harry Giles, John Henson, and Noah Vonley. Any of those names stick out to you? Honestly, I... Not really. (laughs) (laughs) That's totally fine. Um, My last thing would be in terms of like, and this is not even a mid-level thing, but given the status that the Lakers are at coming off a championship, I feel like this, they're at the point where they can just sort of, obviously you saw it with the buyout market being able to get guys like Dion Waiters and Markeith Morris. But I feel like at this point they can sign a guy for the vet minimum, like Marco Bellinelli or Kyle Korver and they would probably get more minutes than a Quinn Cook or a Jared Dudley did, right? And at that point, you know for sure, regardless of whatever Lakers curse uh, presides over us in terms of three-point shooting, that Bellinelli and Kyle Culver and maybe Anthony Tolliver will do a lot to shore up our three-point shooting and at least make it a little bit more consistent than what we saw this year, right? Right. Um, okay, to close this episode, I have actually trades that I looked up. I know I said we wouldn't talk about trades, but um, <laughs> if we abandon the 2021 plan and trade for players with two or more years left on their contract, the Lakers can cobble up a bunch of expirings this year that would actually save another team some money. And obviously they can throw in like a Cal Kuzma, some first round picks, et cetera, et cetera. The pipe dream guys are obviously Drew Holiday and Bradley Beal. I know, Tommy, you would love Drew Holiday. Um, yeah. But we likely don't have the pieces for a guy like that unless THT has a bang-out second year and he's looking like the second coming of Victor Oladipo or something. Um, So we'll put Drew Holiday and Bradley Beal to the side. But I do have two more realistic options. What do you think about trading for Gary Harris? He has two years left 
ends 2021. I know he sucked balls in the playoffs for the Denver Nuggets. No, he's pretty good now. But, I mean, he, he was coming off an injury. Yeah, so there was a period of time when Gary Harris was looking like the second coming of, like, prime Avery Bradley, you know? So if you have some belief in that guy, Gary Harris could be a potential trade target. You give the Denver Nuggets some salary cap relief, and, and maybe they get a Kyle Kuzma and a first-round pick um, in return as well. But so Gary Harris is one, and then the other one, more of a big name. I don't know how they can pull this off salary-wise, but let's just say they can. What do you think about Draymond Green? Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> no. No, All right, I'm so your thoughts, and then we'll that. close the episode. I am going to stay far away from that one, my friend. Draymond Green? Yeah. You don't want, you don't want, you think he's over the, over the hill? Oh, I think he's over the hill, and he's being paid quite a bit. I mean, this dude hasn't been able to hit a shot in years. I, it's not even like, even if he can get his defense back, which I don't think he's nearly the same player defensively anymore as he once was, um, his offense is, I mean, when they won their championship pre-Kevin Durant, he was legitimately not just like an all-star because he was playing, you know, defensive player of the year type defense, but he was hitting shots and making plays and doing a lot of things. And I know their team sucked for a variety of reasons last year and Steph was hurt and everybody was hurt, whatever. But it, I mean, he, he looked awful. And, and I think he needs a very, very, very specific type of system to be effective. And I just, it's not worth it to try to force it here. Oh yeah. I think the Warriors would definitely do it because they owe him 27 million yeah. I mean, it's in a horrible 2023. Contract. It's really bad. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I brought him up because it's a realistic deal that the Lakers could do. Yeah. Would they do it or should they do it? Probably not. But it seems like you're kind of more on board maybe with a reclamation project in Gary Harris if he's only on the books for two years. Yeah. Yeah. Gary Harris, I mean, I he has he could fit a role on this team. I think he's a big he's he's a guard, but he's got good size. Um and, you know, you can never have enough of those guys. He's he's always been I know he shot like crap against us, but he's typically a good shooter. Um so yeah. yeah, I like him. So we'll see. All right, with that said, that'll do it for our very, very early look at free agency. Obviously, more to come, things will change, guys will say stuff. Salary cap projections will be different. We'll see who returns from the Lakers. That's the biggest thing that they'll have to figure out. And then once we know which bigs are coming back, who the Lakers want to retain, uh, we'll have a clearer picture of who exactly they should target. Um, but for the most part, if they run it back, I think they'll also be fine. And obviously, chemistry and continuity are at a premium here. And um, yeah, it's it's a great feeling this time around coming into or heading into an offseason as NBA champion. So with that said, we'll catch you guys next time. Please follow us on Twitter at Lakers Legacy Pod. Please also rate and review us five stars on iTunes. If you'd like to help us out in any small way financially, you can go to patreon.com slash the Lakers Legacy Podcast. And also you can watch us or just watch me and maybe Alan and maybe Tommy if he flashes a chin or an elbow sometime um, on YouTube. Just search Lakers Legacy in the channel search bar. All right, Tommy, I will catch you later when we um, pick somebody in the first round or begin to spend some cash money. Spend that money. Later. Late. Peace.
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.